Today, we are tying a bow on this series called Scandals. And we have been looking at the life of King David. This is the famous David of David and Goliath. This is the the David who had this famous uh, scandalous affair with Bathsheba. And, you know, David had incredible beginnings, but he did not end well. Just a life embroiled in scandal. And today, we are going to look at some famous last words of this man, David, as he's talking to his son and his successor, Solomon. Now, I was Googling famous last words um, this past week. I was just interested in what some other famous people had said as they were dying. What were their last words? And so I wanted to share a few. I'm going to bet that a number of you can, can guess some of these. So we'll play a little trivia. Okay, who said these famous last words? A tu brute. Very good. Okay, Julius Caesar. How about this one? Father, into my hands I commit my spirit. That's Jesus. Okay, so I'm just warming you guys up, trying to help you feel good before we get to the hard ones, okay? So here's a tough one. First service did not get this. These were the last words of a guy who lived within the last century. How were the receipts today at Madison Square Garden? Not Rockefeller, good guess. Anyone else for the guess? How are the receipts today at Madison Square Garden? Last words. Okay, I'll give you a little hint. Let's throw it up on the screen. P.T. Barnum. Allegedly, of course, this is, I Googled it, so don't send me an email if it's not right. I, I, okay, it's cool. I believe you. Um, that's, he, was, he was really worried about what the cash flow situation was like. Um, here's, a, here's another one. Again, first service didn't get this one. Um, So this guy said to his housekeeper, who was trying to document his famous last words, as she was in there trying to write, this is what he said to her. These are the last words of this guy. Go on, get out. Last words are for fools who haven't said enough. Who said that? He was German. Philosopher. No, I haven't. Oh, someone said it. Karl Marx, who said religion is the opiate of the people, right? Karl Marx. Go on, get out. Last words are for fools who haven't said enough. Okay, I'm going to give you one more. You're not going to guess this one because this guy is not so well known. But uh, there's an American revolutionary general named Ethan Allen. And as this uh, hardened general was, was dying, his doctor was with him. And the doctor was trying to reassure General Allen, basically like, man, you've been fighting, you've been holding on, you just, it's time for you to go. The doctor was just trying to help him, help him just to let go and just die. And so the doctor says to General Allen, he says, General Allen, I fear the angels are waiting for you. It was a way of saying, go on, man, it's okay, you can just die. The angels are waiting for you. And to that, General Allen responded, waiting are they? Well, let them wait. And then he died. It's kind of funny. Okay, so those are some famous last words. We are going to look today at some famous last words that David said. Now, these were not his final words, but these were some of his last words. This was a charge he made to his son, Solomon. We find it in 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. We've been in 2 Samuel, and in your Bible, 1 Kings is the continuation of, of 2 Samuel, okay? So here we go. It says, When the time drew near for David to die... He gave a charge to Solomon, his son. 
I'm about to go the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations, as written in the laws of Moses. All those words that David spoke right there were driving at one main thing he was trying to impress upon his son who would take over as king. Solomon, obey God's commands. Now, what's really interesting about this is that for a Jewish father to impart to his adult Jewish son, this advice is the most basic advice you could possibly give your son. In fact, Solomon would have heard this his entire life. It's all about obeying God's commands. And you can almost imagine that Solomon leans in. Here's his father, you know, on his deathbed. And Solomon leans in. Son, son, come here. I got to tell you something really important. Okay, dad. He leans in and his father's like, just obey God's commands. You can imagine Solomon being like, probably not saying it, but thinking, really? That's what you got for me? My whole life, I've known that one. I mean, it's so basic, it's ridiculous. And what I find interesting for us is, isn't that something that we know all too well as well? We're supposed to obey what God tells us to do. But what I like about this passage is that David also gives Solomon the reason why he should obey God's commands. It's not just that he should, it's why he should obey God's commands. And that's what I want us to talk about this morning. We're going to look at three reasons why we should obey God's commands. Now, the second reason is the one where we're going to spend the majority of our time and our focus because that's the reason the passage really addresses. Okay? But bookended, that's bookended by reason number one and reason number three, which we're going to talk about just quickly. So the first reason why we should obey God's commands is because God says so. Plain and simple, because God says so. So my wife Becky and I, we have three kids, age five, seven, and nine. And our parenting style is very much that we try, when we give our kids a, um, some sort of a, I don't call it a command, but when we're telling them to do something or not to do something, we try and explain why. That's how both of us like to understand things, the, the why. I'm sure most of us in this room would agree with that. And so we like to try and tell our kids, so uh, why do I have to put on my seatbelt? Well, you got to put your seatbelt on because we don't want you to go flying through the windshield if we get in an accident. You got to put on your bike helmet before you ride your bike. Well, why do I have to do that? And you talk about, you know, you only get one brain. And if it's splattered on the sidewalk, that's not good, right? And so why, why can't I have more than one cupcake or, you know, treat, my kids just love treats, big, big sweet tooth. So we try and explain about health and healthy eating and healthy living and this sort of thing. And so constantly we're trying to impart to our kids the why behind what they need to do. But every now and then that just doesn't seem to work as a parent. And I remember uh, just this past week, my kids were downstairs and I yelled down to them and I said, hey guys, need you to come upstairs for a minute. And I get the classic silence, okay? They can all hear me, but it's total silence. I say, Allie, Timmy, Juliet, come on upstairs. 
And then I just, all I hear is this little chorus of, why? <laughs> so I said, because I need to talk to you. Come on upstairs. Silence. Let's go. Come on, come upstairs. What do you need to talk to us about? <laughs> come on upstairs. Why? Okay, at this point, there's something in me that just starts to rise, okay? And it, it ignores the promises I made to myself as a kid when I said that I wouldn't follow in the footsteps of my parents when they just uttered the words that I'm getting ready to utter right now. And so as my kids say why for like the third time, I just yelled down, because I said so, that's why. I'm your father, now get upstairs now. And you do what you said you wouldn't do, right? Now, somebody didn't like that. I'm sorry. I just made a baby cry. That's my, that's my fault. My kids cried too when I did that. Okay. Now, for some of us, it's as simple as this. Why we should obey God's commands? It's because God said so. Now listen, if you're here today and you are just kind of peeking across the fence at Christianity. Like you're checking it out. You're not sure who Jesus is necessarily. And you're still taking a look at this whole Christianity thing. Then I have some, I have some news for you. You actually don't have to listen to this point or quite frankly, the whole rest of this message. Because this doesn't apply to you. You actually haven't put yourself in a position where you've signed up for this. In fact, if you are here today and maybe you're with a friend or you're with a spouse or somebody else who dragged you here and you know that they have put their faith in Jesus and they're trying their best to do this Christian thing, you can actually give them a little elbow right now or shoot them a look and point and laugh at them because they have to follow this. See, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and we submit to his authority, then ultimately it is about the fact that he's saying, I'm your father because I said so. That's why you need to obey. Now, this whole principle of because God says so, and that's why we obey, this is just embodied in one of Jesus' disciples named Simon, who is also known as Peter. And um, in Luke 5.5, 5, it records this interaction between Simon Peter and Jesus, where Jesus tells Simon Peter, who's a fisherman, to, to cast his net one more time out the side of his boat. And look at Peter's response. He says, Master, We've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. Now that's basically polite code for Jesus. I'm a fisherman, you're not. You have no clue what you're talking about, okay? There's no fish out here where you're telling me to put the net. But against his better instincts, look what Peter says next. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And what ensues is ridiculous fishing. It is crazy. It's a catch so big, he can't even pull in the net. As a result of this attitude that Peter had, don't miss this. These are six words that for some of you, you need to underline and make these your words because this, quite frankly, is your struggle when it comes to obeying God. And here are the words. Because you say so, I will. Because you say so, I will. Don't necessarily fully understand it, but because you say so, I will. Don't necessarily fully want to, but because you say so, I will. Some of us need to adopt a because you say so, I will 
attitude when it comes to our relationship with God. So the first reason why we should obey God, quite frankly, if we're here and we've put our faith in Jesus Christ, we've submitted to God's authority, is because God says so. Plain and simple. Now, second reason is because we will prosper. And this is where we're going to spend most of our time today. Um, this, this really, even if you're a skeptic or a cynic, this is the part that will resonate with you, okay? So this comes straight from what David says next. First Kings 2, the last part of verse 3. He's told Solomon, he says, and all that you do, you've got to obey God's commands. Now, here's what he says next. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go. So you do this, you obey God's commands so that you'll prosper. Now, the key word here is prosper, isn't it? I mean, that's a word where if we don't understand what that word means, we could, we could fall into major problems here. We could fall into all sorts of traps, okay? So here's the deal. God's definition of prosper is not the same as our society, our culture's definition of prosper. The way the world thinks about prosperity has to do with fame. It has to do with fortune. It has to do with how everything looks on the outside. God's definition of prosper doesn't have to do with fame or fortune whatsoever. God's definition of prosper or prosperity is measured by things like the peace that we have, the sense of purpose and meaning that our life carries, the quality of the relationships, the kind of people we are, the character that we have. That is prospering in the eyes of God. You see, Jesus never came and said, hey, you know, if you follow me, you're going to have fame and fortune. And in fact, you're going to get a big house with a white picket fence and you're going to have 2.3 kids and you're going to have a little dog named Butterscotch, right? No, that's not, that's not what Jesus promised. In fact, he promises us almost the opposite in a sense. He doesn't say that we're going to be homeless, but what he says is, John 16, 33, check this out. Jesus actually makes us a different promise. In this world, you will have trouble. It's not going to be perfect. But take heart. I have overcome the world. So Jesus doesn't promise us fame and fortune and this problem-free life. What Jesus actually promises us is his peace through our problems. It's his presence through our problems. It's his power to see us through the problems of this life. We, prosperity is not about our circumstances. It's about our character. It's about how we go through life the right way. So, the reason that we obey God is so that we'll prosper. It's so that we'll prosper. Now, I want you just to take a minute right now, and I want you to think, if you can, of an example of how this has played out in your life, where you have obeyed God and you have prospered as a result. I'm not talking about fame and fortune. I'm talking about peace. I'm talking about purpose. I'm talking about getting free from stuff that holds you. Can you think of something I want you to try and think of an example right now of a time you've obeyed God and you 
have prospered. Because let me tell you, this is the value add of your faith, of obeying God. Now, for some of you, something came to mind real quick. For others of you, you're like, man, I have no clue. I'm trying. I got nothing, man. Like, so here's what I'm going to do. I want to share some examples of how this biblical principle of if we obey, we will prosper has played out in my life. Okay? These haven't been easy. Sometimes they've been really messy. But I'm going to give you six examples of how this principle of our obedience leads to our prosperity has played out in my life, in my Christian journey, okay? And along the way, if, if, this, if this resonates with you, you realize, oh yeah, yeah, that happened to me. Okay. Make note of that. The goal here is that ultimately, especially as we lead into our next series called Pass It On, that you would actually be able to think of ways that you've been blessed as a result of your faith and obeying God. So that when you're trying to have a conversation about God, which we're going to talk about starting next week, you're trying to have a conversation about God, and then they say, well, why, you know, tell me, what is it about faith for you? Or why, why do you go to church? Or, you know, what is, what is that about for you? You're not supposed to give them some canned response. It's not, oh, shoot, where was that? You know, what page was that on that I was supposed to? No, no, no. It's supposed to come from your experience in your relationship with God. So as, as I go through these, I want you to be noting, yes, that's me. Yeah, that's me. Or maybe it's, wow, I'd like to have that. I haven't gotten that. Maybe I need to do that, okay? So I'm going to get real personal. I'm going to share six things of how God has moved in my life in ways where I've obeyed, and it's led to some real blessing for me. The first one is in the area of peace. Peace. So I know none of you are like this, but I can be uh, somewhat of an intense type A, high-stress person. I know in Washington, D.C., none of us are like that. We're all very, very laid back. Just roll with everything, right? So I'm a firstborn, and I can, I can get amped up, and I can get anxious, and I can worry about things, or I can dwell on things and think about things. And um, what I found is that um, as I have really reflected on something that Jesus said, it's helped me tremendously in the area of stress and anxiety. And that is from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, where Jesus is doing this teaching about worry. And what Jesus says, and I'm just gonna, I've just taken the very beginning and the very end. If this is your issue, you need to read this whole thing because it's powerful. But basically, Jesus gives us a command in Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry. That is a command. That means we have control over this thing, okay? So do not worry. And then he goes through this whole deal. And then at the very end, he gives us the antidote to worry. Because if you've ever tried not to do something, you end up what? Doing it, right? I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. You end up doing it. So he says, do not worry. And then at the very end, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So God says, okay, don't worry. Stop worrying. And instead, focus all that energy and attention on God. Take that to God. Bring that to God. And I got to tell you guys, this has been such a blessing to me. Obeying this command, I have been so blessed by doing this. Now, I don't always get this right. There are some times I just enjoy worrying and I'm just going to worry. I'm just going to be stressed and it doesn't happen. There's other times where I try and seek first and I'm not, I don't have any peace. But there's a lot of times where I put this command into play and after I've done it, I have a lot of peace. 
I'm prospering in that area. Oftentimes, that's the way it goes. Let me give you another one. Purpose. So ever since I've been a teenager and I've thought about what I want to do with my life and you know, I want my life to mean something. I want, I want to have a life of meaning and significance and, and purpose. And what I've found is that by pushing in to what Jesus talked so much about, I've found a lot of that purpose in my life. Jesus, over and over and over again, talks about the importance of serving. In fact, he even says that he didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. So if, if he came to serve, then we as followers of his, then our job is to serve. It's to consider other people better than us and to serve them. And I cannot tell you, as I've leaned into this in my life, and it started kicking and screaming with my mom basically telling me, you will go on this mission trip to Mexico as a 16-year-old kid, kicking and screaming the whole way, and then on through all kinds of service stuff that I've done. My life has had so much meaning and so much value as a result of obeying, not always willingly, right, but obeying this command to serve. I've I've prospered in the area of purpose and meaning and significance. Let me give you another one. So um, I have, I don't know what it is, but I've always had a thing for money. Like when I was a real little kid, something about money intrigued me. I liked the coins. I liked collecting them. I liked the dollar bills, you know. I liked to hold those things in my hand. And um, I had this show. There was this cartoon when I was a kid. Some of you probably remember this show. You remember DuckTales, the show DuckTales is a cartoon. I was a real little kid. So, you know, there's the three nephews or whatever. Uncle Scrooge, he, he's the one that this guy, he was a miser. You know, he, he had so much money that he had a warehouse. He called it his money bin. And he used to swim through the money bin. And I just used to think, man, that would be awesome. I used to have dreams where I'd be swimming through a money bin of money. And I used to have my little, you know, my pile of coins. And, and I would, as I started to get allowance, I'd get like a dollar a week, you know. And I would collect and I'd save. My brother was a big spender. I was always a saver every single week. And I'd get these dollars, right? I'd get these dollar bills. And I would do this thing. <laughs> this is so weird, but anyway. Um, <laughs> I, would, I would get all the dollars and I would, I, we had some encyclopedias. And for those of you who are young, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But anyway, they used to have these things called encyclopedias. They're big books. And um, so I would take the encyclopedias and I'd stick the dollars, like the bills, and I'd flatten them out. And then I'd like stack stacks of encyclopedias on top of them so that I'd have like a perfect pile of $1 bills. And I could just like play with it and fan myself. And you know what I mean? I was really like, I just loved money. It was just cool. It was powerful. It was fun. I, I just enjoyed money. And, and so as I got older, I, you know, I started thinking about how, how am I going to make sure that I can make plenty of money? And, and uh, money, you know, it was, it was just always a thing for me. And, um, and then in my early 20s, I, I came to put my faith in Jesus Christ and started wrestling with what you're supposed to do as a Christian. And this area of giving and honoring God with our money and the first portion of our money and getting into tithing and giving generously to the poor and, you know, all the things that, that we're taught to do. And, um, and so I started really pushing into this area. And I got to tell you, it was so, so powerful because what I found was that the more 
that I was willing to give. The more that I was giving away, the less, like, the less tight grip I had on money. And what I realized is there's this principle, and it's so powerful. What I realized is that God doesn't care if you have money. He really doesn't. God doesn't care if you have money. But God cares if money has you. That's what God cares about. What I realized by obeying the biblical principle of giving is money doesn't have me. I'm free from money. Take it. Some of you, money has you right now. Money has you. You're thinking about it. Go ahead. (laughs) Bend down. It's all counterfeit bills. It's all counterfeit bills. I'm just kidding. There you go. You got something. Good. All right. So um, by obeying God's command to give, I've really experienced freedom in the areas of money. I'm not, it doesn't mean that I don't think about it anymore or or I'm careless with it. I'm very, very careful with money, but it doesn't have me. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't have me. Some of you are hearing it has you a little bit, and pray about that one. Let me give you another one. Um, this is in the area of alcohol. So um, in my late teens and my early 20s, I found that alcohol could be a really helpful substance for me in uh, some areas of my life, uh, particularly when it came to this um, rather unfamiliar species called the female and just approaching the female gender and how conversations could go if uh, I had uh, had several drinks of alcohol and it just kind of made things a lot easier, a lot smoother. In fact, just socially, it just kind of, boy, it, it, it helped me in, in some aspects that way. And I also found that, that um, alcohol had another benefit for me because, you see, I am, I am a terrible dancer, a terrible dancer. And I, I mean... I don't have any rhythm at all. Like the, the, you know, there, there can be a beat and I hear it, but my body just doesn't, doesn't get that. It doesn't move with the rhythm at all. And uh, so I, I've really only got two dance moves. You know, I've got the, the, uh, the, the John Travolta, you know, like the grease thing. Like this is, this is it. This is one of them right here. And then the other moves, like the cabbage patch or the churn, churn, make butter, make butter, you know. That can't get you through like a whole evening on the dance floor, just those, those two moves. It just doesn't happen, you know? And so my moves kind of involve me doing something with my fists and you, like, this is, this is kind of, this is it, baby. Like, I'm rolling. This is all, this is all the dance move that I got, okay? And I, I just found that um, alcohol, when, when I was drinking a lot of alcohol, man, like, my dancing got a lot better. It really didn't. It didn't. I just thought it did right? So, well then, you know, fast forward a few years, and I've had this, this encounter with God, and I've put my faith in Jesus, and I'm trying to follow him, and I come across Ephesians five eighteen in the New Testament, which says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. And I thought, oh, it doesn't say anything about beer or hard alcohol. That's excellent. Um, I don't get drunk. And man, I, this, this, I wrestled with this one. I mean, this, this one hurt. Because this wasn't necessarily just about social conversations or my dance moves, which are still, well, you just saw them, so you know. Um, 
But this was kind of about my whole social context, you know, my, my world, all my friends and what we did on the weekends. And um, this was a really hard one for me. But I just felt like God was saying, you know what? It's okay. You're afraid. You don't know how it's going to go. This is a hard command, but you can do it. And um, so I did. And I just said, you know what? I'm just, dang it, I'm going to do it, okay? That was kind of how it felt. And you know what I found? That first year was really hard. And it wasn't, this wasn't a chemical dependency thing for me. I know f- for some of you it is. Uh, it wasn't, that wasn't it for me. It was, it was a social thing for me. And that's why it, w- it was really hard. But I found that by obeying this command that God impressed upon me, I found tremendous blessing in it. Because you know what was interesting? I discovered the reason why I was drinking alcohol in large quantities. It was actually to mask my insecurities. That's what it was there for. I have a pretty good time sober most of my life I had. And this was just a way to kind of just help me get over a couple of hurdles that I didn't necessarily want to face without that substance. But when I decided I wasn't going to use that substance anymore and I was going to rely on the Spirit, which is what Ephesians 5.18 said, I had to face my insecurities head on. And you know what? I have been so blessed because now I've been able to overcome those and pushed past those. That's why, don't you realize, I just danced for all of you up on the stage. Okay? Praise God. All right? So by obeying, I have, I have really been set free in that area of my life. i got two more for you quick. Uh, the first one is in the area of my marriage. So uh, Becky and I have almost been married now for, for 12 years. And um, our marriage, just like any other marriage in the world, and it's, there's a lot of good stuff. And we have struggles. I mean, we have our issues. There's good days and bad. There's highs and lows. Um, but I can tell you one thing about my marriage. My marriage is smoking hot, all right? It is smoking hot. And um, in fact, just to be honest, you know, the reason that we have three kids is because my wife just can't keep her hands off me. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, that's just the truth of the situation. Um, and being a good husband, I remember the verse that talks about, you know, your body is not your own. It belongs to your spouse. And so I say, okay, babe, you know, I'm really not in the mood. But because, you know, I'm called to lay down my life, I will sacrifice. I will serve you. Okay. I can't believe we don't have more kids, actually. But anyway, one of the, one of the primary reasons why my marriage is smoking hot is because um, I've kind of been forced to push into another command that God gives us. And that's found in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, which says that we are to flee from sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality. Like to run as fast as we can the other way. And one of the things that I had to do is actually because it was my job. Some of you probably remember this, but I... Um, was, was re- really forced to wrestle with exactly what this meant. And I was tasked with doing a sermon many, many, many years ago. It was in the early days when I was on staff. And it was called Porn Sunday. 
That was the sermon. I had to do it. I did about a month's worth of research on it, and it absolutely blew my mind. It was crazy. Because you see, man, before, you know, before Jesus, before becoming a Christian, you know, like rewind to college and post-college, like sitting there going, what's the big deal? It's not really hurting anybody. No, No big thing. You know, everybody seems to be using it. So what's the harm? What's, what's the big deal? But man, that month of research I had to do on that Porn Sunday talk was unbelievable, you guys. It's unbelievable. What pornography does to us, what it does to our level of sexual satisfaction how it decreases our sexual performance, just how it just messes so many things up from the way that God intended them to be. Now, we kicked off this scandal series, and I don't know if you heard the first message in the series or not, but we talked about David's rooftop, and today our rooftop is, is the internet. And um, we, I told you about this great porn experiment, this TED Talk, the great porn experiment. If you have not listened to that talk yet, shame on you. You need to go and take 15 minutes and listen to the talk. Not right now. Not right now. Okay. And here's why. This is not a biblical talk. It's not a Christian talk. It's not a Jesus talk. It's not even a talk on morality. This is a talk on science. This is a talk on neurologically speaking, what porn does to the human being. That's it. It's fascinating. It's actually terrifying. And I got to tell you, since I've been able to connect the dots and understand it's not just that God's a killjoy. He's like, you know, just anything that's like cool and fun and sinful, just don't do that. Because I just want you to just be bored. That's not God. God's saying, I love you so much. Don't get involved with the stuff that is going to short circuit your life. I got to tell you, I've been so blessed in this area of my life. So blessed. That's why my marriage is smoking hot. I am not even kidding you. I'm not trying to be dramatic. Um, man, that's awesome stuff. Okay, and then last one I want to talk to you about. I hope this is, I hope this is getting your brain going. I hope, I hope you guys are thinking of your own examples, okay? This is my last one. This is probably my hardest one. Um, it's in the area of forgiveness. So, man, you read through those Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, let me tell you something. You are going to keep hitting this theme of forgiveness, And one of the things that is so harrowing about what Jesus says about forgiveness is it actually doesn't say, hey, you know what? And then when they ask you and they say that they're sorry, then you should go ahead and forgive them. You know, it doesn't say that, right? It says, you know what? Your heavenly father has forgiven you. So go forgive the other person. I have to tell you that I've had people in my life who have hurt me deeply, significantly, like where I still feel the ripple effects to this day. And this was one area of my life where there was nothing in me. There was nothing in me that said, I want to forgive this person. And sometimes it was like a a fight for like 15 months. It was like an arm wrestling match between me and God just over, over this issue. And finally, I was like, okay, God, fine, fine. This has to be by your spirit because there's no way I can do it on my own power. And I got to tell you, I've offered forgiveness and offered forgiveness to people I didn't feel were worthy of it. I didn't feel like they were worthy of it. 
And can I just tell you, it has set me free. Some of you are here today and you're holding on to a lot of stuff, a lot of hurt in this area. And that person's not knocking on your door asking for forgiveness. But God is. God's knocking. And he's saying, you've got to forgive. You've got to forgive. You need to wrestle with that. And I've got to tell you, it's not easy. And listen to me. It's not a one-time event. It's a process. Okay? I'm going on like a decade in one example of my life. And it's still a little bit awkward. It's still uncomfortable. And I can still, if I'm not careful, pick up my bitterness and hold back onto it. But it is so incredibly worth it. It's unbelievable. So think about your life. Think about ways that you've obeyed God and how you've prospered. Or maybe you're thinking about a way that you need to obey because you want prosperity in some way. Maybe that's what God's dealing with you on right now. I just want to say one other thing while we're on this topic. Um, if you're here today and maybe you are really still trying to figure out who Jesus is and was he really God and did he really died for my sins and what's this whole deal or was he just some teacher or whatever, or maybe you're here and you just feel like, boy, you just wish your faith were a little bit more real. Like you just wish you could feel a little bit more because you're just, you're just struggling. You're in a place where you're struggling, okay? If you're in either of those two places this morning, I want to share with you a verse. Jesus said in the Gospel of John seven seventeen. it's one of my favorite things that Jesus ever said. I've said it before. I want to say it again. Jesus said these words. He says, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. What Jesus is saying there is, listen, if you want to know whether these teachings are divinely inspired or whether they're just some, this is some dusty old book and we're just dusting it off and it's, it's pretty cool or whatever, just some, something that just got made up, you know how you can figure it out? Just do it. You remember that Nike, uh, old Nike slogan? Just do it. You guys remember that, right? Okay. This is, this is mind-blowing. I discovered that this week. I don't, you, some of you may know this already. But did you know that this slogan actually was inspired by these words of Jesus right here in John 7, 17? Did you, did you guys know that? It's absolutely not true. It's absolutely not true. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It should have inspired it, though. I mean, it's right there, okay? Nike had it right. I, someone was, Jesus was talking to them. They didn't even realize. They didn't give him the credit he deserved, but here's the deal. If you want to know whether this stuff is real, just start doing it. You'll figure it out. That's my story. That is my story. I just started to obey things. Sometimes I didn't want to. Other times I said, okay, I'm going to give this a shot. And I just started receiving blessings. Again, not in the way the world blesses, but in the way that God blesses. And I encourage you to think about that for yourself. Now, I got one last little fill-in, and this is really important, so you cannot miss this. If you miss this, you can really get yourself in a lot of trouble in your faith, okay? So the, the last reason why we should obey what God tells us to do is because of what God has done for us. It's because of what God has done for us. Now, it's very easy to get this backwards, and I'm going to tell you how dangerous it is if we get this one backwards, okay? If you 
are obeying God because you have something coming up and you're like, man, I really need God to come through for me in this area. I got a big meeting with the boss in a couple weeks. Then my kids got this big deal thing going on. Then I got this hot date coming up or, you know, whatever it is. If you're like, man, I bet I've got to be in church this Sunday. Boy, I'm not going to miss it. I might even be at both services, you know. Or, man, I'm going to be praying this week. I've been praying all week because I need God to come through for me. Okay. If you're praying or you're, you're obeying God so that somehow God will kind of owe you one, you are setting yourself up for a huge, huge fall. And many of us in this room would probably say, yep, I've been there. Yep, I have done that. Yeah, you don't have to raise your hand, but it's cool that you did. I like that. I like that. Um, because what happens, here's the deal. What happens when God doesn't come through just how we want it in the timing that we had planned? What happens? Oh man, we're ticked, aren't we? We're either ticked, we're really disappointed. I mean, it's, it's not good because we fell into a trap of treating God like a genie in a bottle, didn't we? And I gotta tell you, if you're here today and you find that you're frustrated, you find that you're frustrated a little bit with how life has turned out for you, it could be that you've fallen into this trap, you guys. And I just want to say, just with as much love as I can, but as, as truthfully as I can, that if you're frustrated, there's a good chance, whether you admit it or not, that you're really frustrated with God over what's going on. You may not admit that, but you're probably frustrated with God. And a lot of it probably stems from the fact that you feel like God owes this to you. For based on what you've done, how you've lived, you're a good person. Why hasn't God come through? For you, And I have to tell you, with as much love as I can, that's totally backwards. It's totally backwards. It will lead you down roads you don't want to go down. It will lead you to turn your back on God. So instead of us obeying God so that God will do something for us, we obey God because of what God has done for us. This is so incredibly important. Our obedience is in response to God. Now, you may be here going like, well, what has God done for me lately? I mean, you should hear, I got the whole story and wait till you hear, you would say, God hasn't done anything for me lately. Okay, let's just back up. Let's go over a couple basics, all right? God has brought you into this world and given you life. God has created everything around you. Every good thing in your life is ultimately because God is responsible for it. And God hasn't just stopped there. But God actually decided that 2,000 years ago, he was going to come to this earth and enter human history. You can read it in history books. There was actually a real-life person named Jesus Christ who came to this earth and showed us and taught us how to live. That's God's gift to each and every one of us. And not only did he do that, but he lived a life that we couldn't live, and he died a sacrificial death as payment for our sins, so that no matter what we've done, it doesn't matter. As long as we have faith in Jesus, we ask for his life in exchange for ours, we're made righteous in the eyes of God. And that is what God has done for us. And so as Christians, that's why we obey. We obey because of what God has done for us, not so that God will do something for us. God's already done something for us. We just live our lives in response to him. So you got to you got to get that one right or you, you will really, really struggle. So I want to ask us, we bow our heads, close our eyes. We're going um, to pray now and close the service. 
God, uh, we thank you for these famous last words that David had for Solomon. Uh, We are sorry for um, the way the end of his life turned out, God, and we're thankful that the lessons we learn can be secondhand lessons and not firsthand lessons. God, um, just pray for some of us who are here today that uh, you'd help us. We actually know what we need to do. We just need a because you say so, I will attitude. God, you know best. If we just do it, we'll be blessed. Lord, um, we thank you that you don't just stop there, though, that, that you give us these commands because you love us and because you want to prosper us. And I just pray, God, that you would prosper us in this room, God, that you would impress upon us things we need to obey because, God, you want to bless us in areas of our lives. I pray you'd bring those things to our minds right now. And God, I pray that it would be in response to what you've done for us, that we're not obeying you somehow so that you'd come through for us next week or next month or whatever, but that we would just be obedient to you in response to you. Just in an attitude of prayer with your eyes closed and your heads bowed right now, I just want to ask you to think for a minute back to this idea of obedience. And is there something right now that you know you need to obey? Maybe there's something that every time you get to that part of the Bible, you just kind of flip over that part. You think, you know what? I don't know, man. That that part doesn't necessarily apply to me today. Or that that part's really intense and that's out of context. Or God, you know I couldn't handle that right now. So I I can't can't deal with obeying that, that part right now. What is, that, what is that thing that you struggle with when it comes to obeying God? I think you know you should, but you just have such a hard time with it. If you're here right now and, and you, you, you feel that tension, okay, it may be a super minor thing, maybe a huge thing, but you can feel that tension. And you, you know there's something. God's nudging you right now. God's tapping you on the shoulder. I just want you just, just, to, just to raise your hand. If you, want, if you want prayer for strength and courage to push through that, I just want you to raise up your hand. Everyone's eyes are closed right now. Just, just, just lift up a hand. Lift up a hand. If there's an area of your life and you want me to pray for you for wisdom and strength and how to navigate this, and you're scared, but you feel God just urging you. Okay. Thank you. You can put your hands back down. You can put your hands back down. I want to pray for you. God, thank you for those in this room who feel that tension. We, we need, we know we need to take a step, but we're, quite frankly, it's scary. And we don't know if we've got the strength. We don't know if we've got the conviction. We don't know if we've got the staying power to get there. God, we thank you that we don't have to do that on our own, that you promise by your Holy Spirit that you will empower us. I pray, God, you would give courage to everyone who had the courage to raise their hand, that you would help them to take a step of faith and obey you in an area of their life where they feel your nudging. And I pray, God, that you would be faithful and that you would shower them with blessings as a result of their response to you. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name.
Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.